We're going to uh, hear God speak to us now. Our passage is Ezekiel, chapter 18, um, verses 25 through to the end. Ezekiel 18, starting at verse 25. The way of the Lord is not just, you say. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he will die for, for it. Because of the sin he has committed, he will die. But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will save his life because he considers all the offences he has committed and turns away from them. He will surely live. He will not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you each one according to his ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from your offences. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offences you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Our next Bible reading is um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 to 17. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought him to a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that we would come to know what Jesus wants us to know. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would come to do what Jesus wants us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus is healing people and teaching with authority, people are struggling. People are trying to work out what kind of man is this. But it's the demons who know exactly who he is. They are the ones in the know. Back in chapter 8, you see it there, verse 29, he meets two men who are possessed by demons and they see Jesus and they cry out, What do you want with us, Son of God? They see Jesus, a man, and they know that he is the Son of God, God's King, who will one day judge the world and under whom all God's enemies will be placed. And so they recognize him as the Son of God and they know that an appointed time is coming. Do you see what it says they say there in verse 29? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? They know there's a time coming when the Son of God will destroy sin. He will destroy evil. He will put an end to sickness. He will put an end to them. But somehow they know it is not yet. That the appointed time has not come yet. They're not wearing wristwatches. They don't know the day or the hour. Even Jesus doesn't know that. But they can tell this is not it. So, Jesus, what is it you have come to do? Jesus, why have you come early? And I think Matthew has arranged these events in Jesus' life to answer just that question next. What is it that Jesus has come to do? Why has he come early before the appointed time? You can see there on the outline for tonight's talk, Jesus has come early with authority to forgive sins. And Jesus has come early before the appointed time to call sinners. Pick it up there in chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus, having been to the other side of the lake, to the Gentile area, stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wasn't he? He grew up in Nazareth. But just as he was about to start his ministry, he moved again 
to Capernaum. To the north, to Galilee, those who were living in the shadow of darkness, of death, said Isaiah, and he was to be a light shining in the darkness. That's exactly what he's been doing. He taught authoritatively the word of God. He healed in his own town in Capernaum. There was a centurion, do you remember, whose servant lay paralyzed. And he had faith, faith like no one else Jesus had met in Israel. He's gone across to the other side of the lake, to the Gentile area, healed people there as well, and now he returns. And the Jews there have heard about his authority. And so they bring to him a man, verse 2. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. This is one of those great stories of the Bible. Do you remember this one? The men bring their friend lying on a mat, paralyzed, and they are so sure that Jesus can heal him. They are so keen for him to be healed that when they see the building completely full of people and they cannot get to Jesus, what do they do? Do you remember? They go up on the roof. And as you would normally do when you needed to get into a building, they just started digging through the roof. And the roof is caving in on the people who are inside with nowhere to go. This is an OH&S issue. And finally, as the hole is now big enough to lower a man, they lower him on the mat right there in front of Jesus. Can you picture it? It is a great story from the pages of the Bible. And I love the way Matthew paints the scene. Did you notice that verse 2? Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you see what he leaves out? Has he not heard the story, never been to Sunday school, never seen the pictures of this thing? Why does he leave it out? Because he has something he wants us to know. There is just one thing he wants us to see. Don't be distracted, he says. Listen to what Jesus says. They brought a paralyzed man to Jesus and he said, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Matthew wants us to see that there is just one thing that Jesus wants us to see. Matthew wants us to know that there is just one thing that Jesus wants them to know and us to know. There is something more important than this man being healed that everyone knows he can forgive sins. Why does he say this? Son, your sins are forgiven. Does he not realize why these friends have come, what the purpose is? Does he not realize how controversial this will be, what hot water he is diving into, that this is blasphemy? No, Jesus is Jewish. He knows what he's about here. He lives in this town. He knows what he's getting into and he wants to be in it. This fellow is blaspheming, they say. Knowing their thoughts, verse 2, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat 
and go home. I think we find these words confusing, but they're meant to be very direct and clear. Which is easier to say, Jesus says. Well, they're very, both very easy to say. doesn't matter how much you hate public speaking. Any of you here tonight could say them. Get up and walk. Easy. Your sins are forgiven. Easy. They are both easy to say. And they are both impossible to make happen. Oh, yes, we know that about get up and walk. None of us would dare saying that because we'd be so embarrassed and the other person would be so offended. It's impossible. But it's the same, according to the Pharisees, with your sins are forgiven. Do you see? The Jews thought that was even more impossible and more wrong. They didn't object when he healed people with a word, but they object when he says your sins are forgiven. It's impossible. Both easy to say, both impossible to do, but one of them you can tell if it works. Your sins are forgiven? Who can tell? Get up and walk? It's immediately obvious. And Jesus here knows that there's a connection, isn't there, between why there is sickness in the world? It comes from sin. And if someone has the power to deal with sickness with a word, that shows you they have the power to deal with sin. And so he shows this authority, this power, by saying to the man, get up and walk. And everyone there knows he has the authority to forgive sins if only they will believe it. Does it work, this demonstration? Verse 7, Then the man got up and went home. Don't you love that description? He got up and went home. Do you want to know how he walked, what he looked like, how he leapt, if he yelled? You do, don't you? But Matthew's not interested. He got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. Why does Jesus do this? Because he wants them to know that he has authority to forgive sins. And the crowd, at least, gets it. They praised God for who had given such authority to men. Jesus has achieved his purpose. Do you know this? Do you know that it is more important that this paralyzed man has his sins forgiven than he can walk again? Do you believe that? That if there is an appointed time when Jesus will destroy all evil, punish all sin and restore creation, there is nothing more important than getting your sins forgiven. Do you believe that for you? Whatever, whatever health concern you have at the moment, whatever sickness you're scared of having in life, do you know that is less important than having your sins forgiven? Not just for you, but for those you love. What about for Stephen Hawkins? Great mind, terrible body. Would it be better to have his body healed or his sins forgiven. Jesus wants us to know that the forgiveness of your sins is your greatest need. And not just that it's your greatest need, that will be one thing. Jesus wants us to know that he can fill that need, that he has authority. Do you know that? The biggest sin you have ever done the sin that's not so big, but you just keep on doing it again and again. The sin that you did years ago, but it still has consequences for your life. 
Do you know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? How do you know that? Because he said to the man, get up and walk. And he did. Better than that. There was a day when this opposition you see here, when they said to Jesus, blasphemy, turned into crucifixion. They crucified him for blasphemy. And that was the appointed time when he would pay for sin. Rise again. And he says, I now have all authority in heaven and on earth. Surely he has the authority to forgive sins. Why did Jesus come early? To forgive sins. And not just did he come early to forgive sins, but to call sinners. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This is not new in Matthew's gospel, is it? Jesus has called disciples before. Chapter 4, he called some fishermen. Do you remember? Two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. The words are almost exactly the same here, but with one difference. He's not a fisherman. He's a tax collector. Now, personally, I'm in favour of tax collectors. I think it's wonderful that people pay tax and that tax is collected. And I've never heard anyone say anything bad about the people who work for the tax office. It was different in Jesus' day. You didn't apply for a job at the tax office. You paid money to the Romans for the right to collect taxes because they didn't care how much you collected as long as you took their money You could take whatever you wanted on top, as much as the market could bear, as much as you could extort from people with the backing of the Roman Empire behind you. It was a great deal. They were corrupt. And as well as being corrupt, they were traitors. They worked for the enemy, for the Romans. And on top of that, they worked for the local king under the Romans, whose names were Herod. Do you remember them? Herod the Great tried to kill baby Jesus and killed a stack of babies while he was at it. Thankfully, he's dead by now. His son, Herod Antipas, is the local king. He was the one who killed John the Baptist. It's a pretty good CV for Matthew, isn't it? That's who he works for. He's corrupt and a traitor. They were the drug dealers, the pimps, the pedophiles the Rolf Harris types of the first century. Does Jesus not realise what this guy's like? Is he making a mistake here? No, this is his hometown, remember? He knows the guy. And on top of that, he's sitting at his tax collector booth. There's no mistake here, is it? He's calling disciples. He has the authority to forgive sins. So who do you think he'd call? Sinners. And it's not a once-off, is it? Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came. They had plenty of friends, these tax collectors, other tax collectors. They came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They are disgusted at this man. Calls himself a teacher? Well, then he shouldn't be eating with such people. He shouldn't associate with them. He'll become unclean. He looks like he's condoning their behavior. How does Jesus respond? Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, 
It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Notice here, won't you, that Jesus does not deny what these people are like. He does not say their actions do not matter. They're not as bad as you think they are, Pharisees. He doesn't say you Pharisees are overreacting. He does not just accept them the way they are. Do you see what he calls them? The sick. It's a metaphor for sinners. Now, he doesn't have a different attitude about sin or about sinners to the Pharisees. He has a different attitude about God. Verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Hosea 6, God's people were full of sinners. They belonged to him, but they rejected him again and again. He sent his prophets to declare his judgments. But he longs for them to turn back, to return to the Lord, and he would heal them, heal the sick. Because he desires more than anything to show mercy. I desire mercy. God desires not the death of a sinner, but that all should turn and live. And so he sent his king early, before the appointed time of judgment, to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus has come early, therefore, with the authority to forgive sins and to call sinners. He hasn't just got the authority to forgive. He wants to forgive more than anything. Sometimes in my scripture class, when the class is being particularly bad, I pick on a student who's being particularly bad and write their name on the board. And I tell them that if their name is still there at the end of the lesson, they can join me at lunchtime and it will not be fun. But if they turn from their evil ways, I will rub their name off for I have the authority to forgive sins, do you see, in my class. But if the class is particularly bad, the last thing I want to do is rub their name off for they deserve to cop it by now. And I really don't care what they do in the last five minutes. I might even turn a blind eye to what they're doing so their name stays there, do you see? Because I am not like God. God loves to show mercy. So he sends his son with the authority to forgive and to go out of his way to call Sinners, do you know that? Do you appreciate that? Do you know that for yourself? That no matter how big your sin or how often it is, he loves to forgive you. Do you know that for others? Not, not just that he could forgive Rolf Harris if he repented of his sexual preying on young women, but that he longs to forgive him and that he wants you and I to long for him to do it as well. 
In Luke 15, the Pharisees are complaining again that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus tells three stories, do you remember? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. They are all found in the end. And Jesus says there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's what heaven is like. Is that what you're like? God's word pushes us one further in this passage. Jesus has come early to forgive sins. He's come early to call sinners. So now it's time for us to call sinners. Back when Jesus called the fishermen, he said in chapter 4, verse 19, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. To be a disciple of Jesus is to learn to fish to catch other people. If he was saying it to Matthew, he would have said, Come, follow me, and I'll make you a collector of men. But that's what it means to be a disciple. What sort of people are you fishing for? What sort of people are you collecting? Sinners, says Jesus. Especially sinners like Matthew and his mates. And the disciples are to learn to do it. Do you notice here who's at the meal, verse 10? Jesus is having dinner with Matthew and his mates, the tax collectors and the sinners and his disciples. He's going to send them to call sinners and he's training them for it. I wonder how they felt at this meal. These men who had left everything to follow a religious leader, who'd heard him with great authority, teaching and healing, and they discover that he has the authority to forgive sins, more than that, that he's come to call sinners and he eats with them and he expects them to eat with the sinners. I wonder how they felt. I wonder how they felt when the Pharisees asked them why. Do you notice that in verse 11? When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What do you think they said? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know. I'm as uncomfortable as you are. Maybe they just shrugged. The fact that Matthew doesn't tell us suggests to me that the disciples didn't know or didn't like to answer and Jesus overhears and figures he better step in at this point because the disciples have not got it yet. They are disciples. They're learning learning to be disciples who make disciples who will fish for sinners. How would you have felt at that meal? Most of us, I think, are fairly respectable sort of people. When I was at school, I was in the goody group. You won't be that surprised to learn. And there were certainly groups at my school which were not the goody group. And we did not have much to do with each other and not much has changed in my life since. I've been respectable and I find it difficult relating to people who are quite different to me. Whereas a church, I think, 
pretty much like that. And we would struggle, wouldn't we, if we had a former inmate join us. Imagine for a moment if Rolf Harris repents, gets released from jail, Retur decides that returning to Australia is a good idea, and retires to Currajong and joins our church. How would we respond? That's the Matthew situation. And more than that, the disciples are to eat and drink with sinners who are still sinners. These mates of Matthew haven't all suddenly repented and become disciples of Jesus, do you see? They are still sinners and still tax collectors and Jesus wants them to eat with them. As a church, we talk about connecting and sharing Jesus with people. This is the Jesus that we want to share with people, that he forgives sins and calls sinners. What a great saviour to share with people. And he wants us to connect with people who are not like us. So tonight I want to encourage me and I want to encourage you to try a little harder at connecting with people who are not respectable like you are, with people who swear more than you do, who drink more than you do, and who bend the rules more than you do. We've got to learn to relate to people, haven't we? To connect with people. For Jesus came to call sinners. We're all sinners, yes, I've got that, we're all sinful. But he meant in this passage people who are especially sinners. Isn't that clear? The tax collectors. And his disciples are to do the same. Jesus came early to forgive sins and to call sinners. And that means... We're sent to call sinners too. If you go to Capernaum today, there's not much there. Oh, there's a modern town, but where the original town was, there's just ruins because they've had a couple of earthquakes in the last 2,000 years. But the Christians, the followers of Jesus, as you'd expect, have built a monument a monument to Jesus who came early to forgive sins and to call sinners, and a monument to the disciples who were sent by him to call sinners. It's a living monument, a building with people living in it. It's called the Monastery of the Holy Apostles. Do you see the irony of that? Jesus came early to forgive sins and to call sinners, and he ate and drank with them and sent his disciples to do the same. The disciples became apostles, which means sent ones on a mission to save sinners. And what happens now? What have his followers done with that in Capernaum? A group of men live in seclusion, safe from the rest of the world, far away from sinners. How could you get this more wrong? But it would be wrong for us to point our fingers at the other side of the world in Capernaum, wouldn't it? Because I think that is just the symbol of what we are each like as individuals. We want to live surrounded by Christians and away from the non-respectable people. I think that is a great symbol 
of what we want to be like as a church. Surrounded by Christians, safe together and safe from the rest of the world. And that would be so wrong, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we don't want to get this wrong. We thank you so much that Jesus did come early before the appointed time of judgment to forgive sins, that we might know that he has the authority to forgive sins. Father, help us to know that. And Father, we thank you that he not only came to forgive sins, but to call sinners because he loves people to repent and come back to him. Father, help us to love that too. And Father, we want to be like the disciples who were still learning, just as we're still learning. But Father, please help us to connect with people who are not like us, who are far away from you. Help us to have merciful hearts like you. Father, please change us as individuals and change us as a church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.